love you tonight. Help me, Lord, to catch my breath from running. But thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your graciousness. And Father, that you would share such a potent and purposeful prayer with us, that we could partner with you in our prayer lives and we could see the fruit of that manifest. So tonight, Lord, as we begin to really touch on some some sensitive topics for all of us, I want to pray for the empowering presence of your Holy Spirit to come. I want to pray that you will do what no person can do and you will touch our hearts, you will mature us, you will help us, and that you will grow us and we will give you honor and thanks in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, and amen. Well, let's go ahead and look to uh, your notes or on the screen. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 6 once again as we read the Lord's Prayer. Uh, Jesus, as he is teaching his Sermon on the Mount, part of this prayer, they ask him how to pray. And he says, when you pray, you should pray as follows. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive them that trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. You know, when I was an infant, I was adorable, by the way. Um, But when I was an infant... I had one primary way of communicating my needs to my parents. One way, right? And that way was usually... You know? It was one of those things where I wasn't to the place where I could quite articulate what I wanted or what I needed... But through that, somehow my parents just knew what I needed, right? I've got a one-year-old at the house right now, and she no longer just screams like that, but now she has gotten to the place where she just goes around saying, Dada! Dada! I'm like, hey, baby, I'm here. What do you need? Dada! And what she's really trying to say is, I want my bottle, right? But she's not saying that. She's just saying, Dada! And if you were ever a baby, when you had a need... That is exactly the way that you communicated as well. Your vocabulary was incredibly limited. You did not know how to articulate or how to express your deepest feelings and emotions or that you wanted your bum, you know, clean. You did not have the ability to do that. But you, like me, as we got a little bit older, we got into adolescence, our communication began to evolve a little bit right? And if you have ever had a teenager in your home, you knew that their communication is usually, you know, grunting, sometimes nodding, the occasional word every now and then. But nonetheless, their vocab is is growing, and they can better articulate their needs slash their wants, right? But as I became an adult, the way that I communicated brought on a whole new level of meaning and substance, right? So I didn't, as an adult now, I don't just scream because I need something and expect everybody around me to try to figure out what that need is, right? I don't walk around grunting and, you know, throwing my body around and expect people to know what I want. As an adult now, I can go into a conversation, be incredibly meaningful, intentional, thorough, thoughtful, explain everything that I mean, because now as an adult, the way that I communicate with other people, it's, it's new, there are new layers to it, there are new dimensions, there are new depths to it. And as you know, as our prayer life grows and develops, as we mature in the Lord, it deepens, the way that we communicate deepens with the Lord. Now, I don't want to take anything away from the Lord's Prayer. Okay, so please don't misunderstand what I'm saying when I say this. But the reality is, is that any Christian, whether they are an infant, an adolescent, or a full-grown, mature adult, any level of Christian 
can pray the Lord's Prayer, and there, there is substance there, okay? But the reality is, is that as we mature in our relationship with the Lord, that the Lord's Prayer can become very compartmentalized, and it can become a very deep and very layered method and template of how to pray. And this is especially true with the topic that we're talking about tonight. Um, when you first became a Christian, or maybe I'll just make the assumption about myself. When I first became a Christian, when I would go to pray, I would simply say, Father, forgive me of all of my sins, right? And, and listen to me, in that moment, instantly, I was forgiven. My sin was depleted from me. It was covered by the blood. The sin was no more, right? But as I have matured in the Lord, I have found the value of saying, Lord, even though I know all of my sins are forgiven, Lord, I really need to deal with this one thing. I need to repent of this. I need to work on this. I need to edge this out of my life. So in other words, what I'm saying is that when I was um, a Christian at one level, I was very generic in how I prayed, right? But as I grow and as I mature, my prayer takes on new life in itself. Now my prayer is much more deep. It's much more nuanced. I go into different areas that I never went into when I was an infant Christian, right? So at my house, I have uh, a couple of kids who are in, well, one is in preschool now, one's in kindergarten. And last year was their first year of preschool. And we sit, you know, just like most of your families, when we come to uh, a family dinner, uh, I will always ask who wants to pray for our meal, who wants to give thanks. And last year for the first time, uh, one of my daughters raised her hand, she said, I want to pray. And I was like, this is awesome. This is great. I'm glad we're sending her to a Christian PK, you know, or, or a program. And so I'm like, okay, baby, let's, let's, let's pray, everybody. You know, we bow our head and everything. And as our heads are bowed, she begins to go, God, our Father, God, our Father, we thank you, we thank you for our many blessings, for our many blessings, amen, amen. And it's amazing. And at her age especially, I'm sure the, the ears of heaven are very attentive to her prayers. I'm sure God is so pleased in that moment, okay? But if you're a 38-year-old man, and me and you go out to eat wings and to watch a game at B-dubs. And I say, well, let's give thanks for the meal. And you begin with, God, our Father. God, okay, I'm going to be like, whoa, bro, okay, hold on, hold on, right? Why? Because you're a grown man. And the way that a child prays is just naturally different than the way an adult prays. It's, it's the same way with any level of communication. And so, again, I want to make myself clear in the very beginning, so I'm taking a little bit of time with this. Tonight, as we begin to talk about our trespasses against the Lord and against other people and people against us, I don't want to take away from the fact that, that our sin is covered in the blood. When, when we came to Christ, we were fully and ultimately utterly forgiven, right, of all of our sin. However, as we are in the process of living out this life, our soul is so very complex that sometimes there are residual effects that linger from the sin of our past or the sin of, of today. And so though God has, has covered them, he has separated us as far as the, the east is from the west, he has taken care of our sin, there sometimes can be a residual effect that takes root in our lives, and thus we need to make sure that we deal with those things. And so tonight we are going to tackle um, the, uh, the stanza in here where the Lord Jesus, he leads us and he says, listen, you need to ask that the Father would forgive us of our trespasses and as we forgive those that trespass against us, okay? Now before we get into these two, you know, different type of sermon things, let, let me give you a little bit of uh, a, a back work, okay? The word right here that you see that says trespasses Depending on which version of the Bible you have, it'll say usually there are three different uh, words that may be used for the word trespass, okay? Uh, one translation will say, uh, forgive us of our sins, right? And you know this, the, the word sin carries the idea of rebellion, 
Okay, it, it carries the idea. It, it doesn't, you know, when I say, Father, forgive me for I've sinned, it doesn't mean that I've made a mistake. It means I have intentionally rebelled against God, right? So the word sin carries a very distinct meaning that I have offended God with my sin. I have rebelled against him, okay? Uh, the second word that's oftentimes used is the word debts. So Jesus says, forgive us of our debts. Um, the word debts, the, the idea that kind of comes along with that is the idea that I owe something to God, but I can't afford to pay what I owe to God, right? It's only through his grace that he has paid the debt of my sin, right? And so there is, a, a, you know, a, a lot of people like to use this because it helps them understand that in the same way that, that I may have credit card debt, when that credit card debt is paid, I'm no longer reminded of the credit card debt, right? So if you have ever had a credit card or a mortgage or a car payment or whatever, and you're like 42 seconds late on making a payment, right? What's happening? They're calling, they're knocking on the door, they're, they're you know, email, text, whatever, pigeons, you know, they're flying, pay your bill, you know? They're, they're, they're bugging you, you've got to pay your debt right? But when you pay off that credit card, guess what? They're no longer calling, and they're no longer knocking. And so Jesus is communicating the idea, listen, these are debts that you can't pay, but they've been paid for you, right? Um, and the third one that, that we talk about, which we're going to focus on tonight, is the word trespasses. So forgive us of our trespasses, which carries the idea that I have stepped into an area that I have no right to be in, right? If you've ever trespassed on a piece of property, which most of us have, you understand there was, a, there was an invisible line here and a sign that said no trespassing. And the moment you stepped across that line, you were breaking a law, right? This is the idea that, that uh, God is communicating in the book of Genesis when he goes to Adam and Eve and he says, listen, there, there are two trees in the midst of the garden. There's a tree of life and there's a tree of the knowledge of good and evil, okay? And I am telling you, do not touch or eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil for surely if you do, you will die, right? What the Lord was saying there is he was saying, look, the tree is off limits. And if you go and you approach the tree, you are trespassing onto an area that I've said that you could not trespass against, okay? So Mark Rutland, uh, he wrote a book uh, regarding the 23rd Psalm and the Lord's Prayer and intermingle, but he basically said if, if he had the ability to reword this part in the prayer using the word trespass, this is the way that he would communicate what the Lord is trying to communicate. He would say this, Lord, we have all gone places we had no right to be. We trampled on people's lives in the process. Forgive us. We also forgive those whose unlawful entry has trampled upon us. Right? So as we read different translations of the Lord's Prayer, what you find primarily are these three different words. And when you begin to dig a little bit into the language and all this stuff that nobody really enjoys doing, what you find is that none of these words are wrong interpretations. They are all right interpretations, as a matter of fact, but what they do is they paint for us a more holistic picture of what Jesus is really trying to get across to us, right? So they're, they're not wrong, they're just different, and as a matter of fact, they're not just different, but they're, they're actually very helpful for helping us understand what, what Jesus is getting at, okay? So it's important to understand what Jesus is saying when he's saying, look, pray that God will forgive us of, of our trespasses, okay? Now, before we get into forgiving us of our trespasses, um, let, me, let me just quickly remind us of the battle against sin that we presently are, are facing, okay? Um, you've heard Pastor talk um, about the different tenses of salvation, the, the past, present, and future salvation, right? And the idea is basically this, that when we came to faith in Christ, that we were saved from the penalty of sin, right? So if you have genuinely put your faith in Christ, your sins are forgiven, and ultimately, you will not face judgment for your sin because Christ has taken that judgment for you. So, so, so ultimately, uh, or excuse me, immediately, we are saved from the penalty of sin. 
But in this moment, we are being saved from the power of sin, right? So, so Paul says this. He says, listen, you're not wrestling. You're not at war with flesh and blood. You're at war with principalities uh, in dark places in the heavenly realm, things that you don't understand. These are the things that you're actually at war with in your soul. And so what Paul is trying to communicate is that although, you know, you're, you're instantly saved, if you were to die today, you would be free from the penalty of sin in heaven. You would not face the judgment of God. But in this moment, we are still contending with the sinful nature. Right? So this is why sometimes you still fall into sin. This is why sometimes you win, but this is why sometimes you don't. Right? So we are in this battle. We are contending for holiness as we are breaking free from the power of sin. Okay? Now, ultimately, we will be saved, futuristically, from the presence of sin. When, when we die, when we go to heaven, when we're raptured, whatever, we are free from the presence of sin. No need to worry about sin anymore. All of it is, is done and taken care of. But tonight what I want to do is I want to focus on that middle section for just a minute, okay? And I want to remind us that we are very much at war in the spirit realm for our day-to-day lives as they go. And what Jesus is trying to communicate here is how vitally important it is that we practice the art of repentance. Now listen, this is not like popular teaching in Western culture, okay? Um, you've got uh, some people in, in, in some pulpits who are, are, are afraid to tell people they need to repent. They, they don't like to talk about sin or whatever. And then you've got other people in other pulpits who are saying, no, when Jesus died on the cross, he took care of all sin, which is true. So there's no longer a need to continue in repentance, okay? But I just want to remind us that, number one, Jesus said, when you pray, this is how you should pray. So right off the bat, our Lord is telling us that there is a need for continued repentance, even though our sins are covered in the blood, okay? Furthermore, in the the early church for the first couple of hundred years, uh, in uh, in the Didiac, uh, there is this this document that that talks about, it's basically like a church manual that the church used for a a few hundred years that talked about how worship should be, uh, you know, aligned with scripture and the proper processes and all this stuff. And in this document for the first couple of hundred years, they are saying that the Lord's prayer should be recited at least three times a day. So they're saying, so again, it's not this idea that, that we are cowardice to talk about sin, but it's also not this idea that we don't have to worry about it. It's this idea that we continue in this mode, in the spiritual warfare, and the need of repentance is ever present with us. And so um, tonight, as, as we begin to talk a little bit about our trespasses against the Lord, I just want to remind us real quickly that that there is a process in which we can partake that helps us be free from the power of sin today, okay? Part of it is, Lord, forgive us of our trespasses, okay? Part of it is that. But it's a little deeper. It's a little more layered than that. And so I just really quickly want to give you, want to give you a couple things that you can do that will help you continue to fight the good fight of faith. Okay, uh, as we wrestle against sin, and the number one thing is, and probably the most important thing is this, is to ask God to search our hearts. David would write in Psalm 139, he would say, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you. And lead me along the path of everlasting life. Now, I don't know about you, but that's a very difficult prayer to pray sincerely. Lord, please just show me anything in me that bothers you. Okay, anything in you, anything in me that annoys you or frustrates you, or you feel, just point it out to me, Lord. That's not a prayer that I thoroughly enjoy praying because nine times out of ten, he's going to point something out to me, right? And so, it's, it's a very uncomfortable prayer to say, Father, search my soul. Show me wickedness inside of me. Show me my fallenness inside of me. It's very difficult, but it's very necessary. 
If you want to grow in holiness and in godliness and continue along the path of sanctification, it's very important that we allow God to fillet us open and to point out things that are within us. Listen, you remember, um, and as Paul is writing to the church at Corinth, Right? There's, this, there's so many issues at Corinth, but one of the major issues is, is that as all the saints gather together to receive communion, the, the Lord's Supper, the, the bread and the wine, that there are people there that are living in unrepentant sin. Right? They're just living there and they're, they're just partaking like it's no big deal. And Paul comes in and he says, listen, this shouldn't be the case. And so Paul gives this instruction. He says, listen, you need to search yourself before you receive the communion. Before you take this, and this is the word that Paul uses. He says, before you take this bread and this cup in an unworthy manner, you need to examine yourself. And this is what he says, super controversial, right? Love Paul. He never steers away from controversy. This is what he says. He says, this is why some of you are sick and why some of you have died. It's because you have taken the sacred elements in an unworthy manner, right? Now, there are a lot of interpretations to that. I'm not even going to tell you what I believe about it. My point is simply this, is that whether Paul was talking about physical illness or physical death or whether he was talking about something spiritual or emotional or whatever the case may be, the point is, is that Paul was saying, you cannot partake of this in an unworthy manner. You've got to come with an open heart and say, Father, whatever it is inside me, show me. Show me what is inside of me so that I can turn from that so that I can approach the sacred moment in a holy way, okay? And this is what I've found. I have found that as I have begun to ask the Lord to search my heart and to show things, like I said a few minutes ago, he has definitely done that for the day in, day out of my life, okay? But I've been incredibly surprised that as I have waited to hear from the Lord, I have heard so many things from my past that I didn't even remember needed repenting of. Now, please, I know this can be very misunderstood in this moment. Okay, I know that God is not throwing these in my face for guilt. That is not what's going on. I'm saying, Father, if there's anything I need to repent of, I'm asking you to show me, reveal these things to me. And the Lord has taken me back to moments when I was a young man before I was a Christian. And I'm, I'm just going to be super vulnerable and, and, and tell you what the Lord has shown me. There have been times where the Lord has shown me moments where I, uh, you know, I have misused a relationship with a young woman, right? Like before marriage and before Jesus and all that kind of stuff. Many, many different things where I have, I have remembered those moments and I've just cried out for mercy to the Lord. Father, I am so sorry that I mistreated one of your daughters in this way. There have been moments where I have remembered things as a, as a kid that I, I stole, you know, whether from, from family members or, or other people or, or whatever. There have, been, there have been moments that have been brought to my attention where I mishandled, uh, even as a pastor, where unintentionally I mishandled the scriptures as I was, as I was preaching or, or talking to somebody or whatever. And, and there, are these, there are these things that the Lord has reminded me of, not to throw it in my face and not to guilt me and not to keep me down, but it's in these moments that God is really trying to set me free. And I'm telling you that, that although all of my sin, like as a whole, has been covered in the blood, I'm telling you as I begin to process and begin to dig out the junk out of my life and dig it out and ask God to deal with it, I'm experiencing freedom in a way that I never had before. It's incredible. And the reality is, is that these residual effects stay with us through that now ultimately they're taken care of. Please don't misunderstand me. But what I'm saying is that sometimes there are residual things that linger with us, and you know exactly what I'm talking about. You can point to family members that are Christians. You know that they're going to heaven, but they are not free from their past. They cannot get over things that they have done or have been done the, or, or whatever. And so all I'm saying is that God isn't taking me to a place and I'm dwelling on this sin or I'm dwelling. It is nothing like that. I'm simply saying, Father, I remember that. I recognize my offense. I recognize my rebellion, my trespass. And, Father, I'm just asking you to forgive me for that and to help that person that I hurt, like even in this moment, help them. 
okay? And so, so I'm asking God to, to search my heart and, and to show me things. The second thing I'm doing is I'm saying it. I'm saying it out loud. Father, I am sorry that I stole that da-da-da-da-da, whatever the case may be. I am sorry, Lord, when I misspoke to that person out of anger. I'm sorry um, when I did whatever the case may be. I'm speaking it. One of my favorite quotes when it comes to dealing with sin and, and repentance from a guy named Ray Ortley. He's a pastor, and this is what he said. He said, we conquer sin by confessing it to death, right? So it's not one of these Mantra, it's not one of these things that we have where once we have prayed the sinner's prayer or whatever the case may be, we no longer have to deal with sin. No, we're in the midst of a war. And in order to be successful, in order to thrive and to win the good fight of faith, we have to get in a place where we are willing to practice repentance. And so um, as Paul, or excuse me, as John would write in his epistle, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and will cleanse us from all unrighteousness, right? And so the practice of, of speaking things, confession, um, I'll tell you this. You've heard me say this before. I think the Catholic Church does a lot of things not great, but I'm going to tell you there are some things they do really, really well. And in the same way, the Protestant Church does some things that are not great, but we do some things that are really, really done well, right? One of those areas that we are like, it's like we're, we're two ships passing in the night is when it comes to confessing our sins. The Catholic Church is really good about confessing their sins one to another, right? They go to a priest and they say, Father, forgive me. They think that they're going to ask forgiveness and then the priest is going to ask forgiveness from the Father. They are very good about confessing their sin one to another, but not very good about confessing their sin directly to the Father, Right? We, on the other hand, as Protestants, we're really good about confessing our sins to God, but we are not letting anybody else into our circle to confess our sin, right? We're, there's very guarded nature there, right? The reality is we need both. The reality is that we need people that, as James says, confess your sins one to another that you may be healed, right? So there's this moment where I can confess my sin to a trustworthy, godly brother, right? But then there's a moment where I confess my sin to the Lord. Okay, and we need both of those, but 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 in in a way, when we speak out the repentance, uh, the confession, there is a healing, there's a, a transformation that begins. Number three, we need to set boundaries, not getting into that. Number four, we need to seek help if necessary, if we find ourselves in habitual sin patterns. And number five is basically that that we have just got to be a people that remember, no matter how many times we fall, we are the people of God, we are the sons and daughters of God, and we get back up again. Right? We are never defeated ultimately, okay? We are the sons and daughters of God. We get back up again regardless how many times we fall. And so when it comes to the Father forgiving us of our sins, um, most of us are pretty good at that, right? Most of us are, are, are pretty good. Father, forgive us of our trespasses. Most of us are pretty good at that, okay? We have taken that Goliath down, most of us. But there's another Goliath coming around the corner. And this Goliath many people have not yet been able to conquer. And it's the second part of Jesus' prayer where he says, as we forgive them that trespass against us. Forgiveness is multi-layer, it's deeply complex, you know this. But I want to share with you really quickly three different ways that, that we, every individual, has to deal with forgiveness. The first thing that we must learn repeatedly to do is we must learn to forgive ourselves. I know that, that oftentimes it can sound very noble, especially when we have screwed up really big to say, well, I know I'm forgiven, but, but I just can't forgive myself. I know it's, it may sound noble, but can I tell you what it really is? It's really you allowing guilt to drive your life. That's really ultimately what it is. And furthermore, it's hindering the work that God wants to do in your life. And so to come before God and to say, Father, I, I am struggling to forgive myself, but I need to trust you that you're forgiving me, and I need to learn to forgive myself if I want to excel um, in the Christian life. So we've got to repeatedly learn to forgive ourselves. Secondly, we've got to repeatedly learn to forgive the Lord if necessary. Now, God doesn't need your forgiveness, and God doesn't need my forgiveness because God has never done wrong. Okay, um, he is the essence of perfection and holiness. He is without error. He's without blame. 
He doesn't need our forgiveness. But inevitably, what happens in every one of our lives is that we go through situations where God either did not do something we thought he should do, or he allowed something to happen that we did not feel like he should allow. And because of either one of those things, inevitably, we find ourselves in a place where offense towards God can take root if we're not careful. And so as we process, again, God hasn't done wrong, but through our filter, we perceive that God has done wrong. And so we have got to learn to be a people that say, Father, though I don't understand, I trust you, right? Instead of saying, Father, I don't understand and I'm mad at you because you're wrong, that's a totally different thing. We have to get to a place where we say, Father, you are good and all that you do is good. Okay, you were the father of heaven and the light. So we got to learn to forgive ourselves, forgive the Lord. And then finally, this is really where we're coming down to, is we must learn repeatedly to forgive others. Okay? A couple of years ago, pre-pandemic, which I can't imagine what it is now, but pre-pandemic, the Barna Group did a survey among Christian churches, evangelical churches. And the survey revealed that, that a fourth of Christians in Christian America admit that they cannot find it in themselves to forgive someone who has wronged them. 25%, okay? Unforgiveness is an enormous deal in so many people's lives. And if we are all brutally honest with ourselves, though we may have forgiven people, the reality is is that we find it difficult to forgive people. Even when we have done far worse things, we still find it difficult to forgive people because of our fallen nature, right? And so we've got to come to grips and understand this, this very important tie-in, okay? The tie-in is simply this, is that somehow in the spirit realm, somehow us receiving forgiveness from the Father is tied to us giving forgiveness to others. And somehow us giving forgiveness to others is, is tied to God forgiving us. And so there is this flow that ideally is to happen in that in the same way that we have received the forgiveness of God, we pour out the forgiveness of God, right? That is ideally the situation that should happen. But that is not always the case that happens, right? And so Jesus understanding how how, how big of a deal unforgiveness and, and sin against one another is. In Matthew 18, Jesus gives us this, this basic outline of saying, listen, when somebody sins against you, don't sit there and harbor it. Like, don't let bitterness take root. But if somebody sins against you, go to that person and tell them what they've done. And there's a right and a wrong way to do everything. Okay, let me make that clear, okay? There's a right way to go to somebody and a wrong way to go to somebody. But Jesus says, look, go to somebody. If they don't want to listen to you, take a brother or a sister with you. Go to that person again. If they won't hear the two of you, take the church with you and go to that person. If they won't hear from you, then, then you're free from, from that offense, right? And so Jesus, like, gives us this, this whole entire package when it comes to us dealing with offense that we have against a person. And so what I want to do for, for the last few minutes, okay, is I want to talk to you about what forgiveness is and what forgiveness is not. Because I think, at least in my mind, there have been times where I felt like I had legitimately forgiven someone, but come to find out I really hadn't. I had just kind of covered it a little bit. And so I don't want to be a person that, that covers offense. I don't want to be a person that even unintentionally. I want to be a person that's walking in the freedom of the truth. I don't want to have issue with anybody. I don't want anybody to have issue with me. I want to walk in the freedom of forgiveness and the, forgiveness that it, or the freedom that it brings. And so I want to talk to you for just a few minutes about what forgiveness is and what forgiveness is not. Now let me just say this. There is no possible way that I am going to be able to comprehensively speak to every situation that exists. There's no way it's impossible, okay? But I'm going to cover as much as I can, okay? And so just be gracious with me, okay, is all, is all I'm asking with that. Number one is simply this. Forgiveness is not excusing or condoning an offense, but it is acknowledging 
that an offense has taken place. Jesus, as he approaches this woman who is caught in the act of adultery, what does he do? He doesn't go and condone the sin. He doesn't go to the guy and say, give me five, five. You know, he, he doesn't condone the sin. He doesn't excuse the sin and say, leave this girl alone. And, you know, he kind of take her and, you know, run her off and let her escape. He doesn't excuse the sin. What does he do? He acknowledges the sin and then he forgives the sin. As a matter of fact, he calls it sin. This is what he says. He says, therefore, go and sin no more. Right? So he is not condoning her action. He's not excusing her action. He's calling it what it is. Okay? And there is a very big difference. There, there are folks that, as they have forgiven someone, their mindset is, well, they just got let off the hook, or, or I've excused their sin. It's like it, it never even happened. That's an attitude of the mind that only the Lord can, can work out in, in your own heart. But that is not what biblical forgiveness is. Okay? Number two. Forgiveness is not removing consequences, but it's removing revenge. There is an enormous difference between consequence and revenge. Consequence is when evil is done and a just action is taken as a consequence. Revenge is when evil is done and a fleshly response takes action. Vast difference between consequence and revenge. Consequences are very necessary for our spiritual development. They're very necessary for our social development. Think about your children. If you've ever, you know, been on an airplane with a kid that obviously never faces consequences, you can point them out, right? You're like, shut that kid up, you know, throw him out the window, something. Give this kid a consequence for how bad he's been. You, you can identify that, okay? The reality is this, is that, as David commits his sin of murder against Uriah and his sin of adultery against Bathsheba, we kind of talk about the sin and we talk about the goodness of the forgiveness of God. But listen to me, there were consequences that followed that sin. David and Bathsheba lost a child because of their sin. And I'm not saying, please understand, what I'm, just, I'm, I'm simply trying to communicate. That was not the revenge of God. That was God saying, David, I, I warned you not to do this. And because you've done this, there's a consequence that follows, right? And so what we have to take a, an attitude upon ourselves is simply this. We have to take the position, because Jesus gave up his right to retaliate against me and my sin, I give up my right to retaliate against them and their sin. It's, it's not that, that they don't deserve certain action, but as a Christian believer, we deserve hell. And in the goodness of God, he is saying, I am choosing to love rather than retaliate. And he's asking us to follow suit. Okay? So a big difference, forgiveness is not the removal of, of, of consequences. It's removing of the attitude of revenge. Number three, forgiveness is not offering reconciliation, but offering peace. Listen to me say this. There are some people in our lives that do not need access to our lives. If you have a child who was molested by another person, that person does not need to have access to you or your child. That, it just doesn't, that, that's, that's, that's a no-brainer. You can still forgive that person, but not allow them access, full access into your lives. Paul said this, he said, listen, he said, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, if it's possible, live at peace with everyone. What does he say? He's saying, if it's possible, live at peace. But if it's not possible, it may not be possible, right? But we have to understand that, that when we offer someone forgiveness, it's not saying that the relationship is fully restored or that the relationship needs to be fully restored. Right? So, so the relationship may need to be restored, but it may not to be, need to be restored. Right? But forgiveness is, is, again, not a reconciliation of the relationship or inviting somebody who has wronged you necessarily back with full access into your life. Number four, forgiveness is not the ending of hurt, but it's the beginning of healing. I, I, a few years ago, I was deeply wounded. 
deeply wounded, probably more than I've ever been wounded in my life by another person. And that hurt was from years and years and years, decades ago, right? And I had forgiven that person decades ago. But a few years ago, it's like all of these things started to come back and manifest in, in like attitudes and words and thoughts and feelings towards this person, this action, all this kind of stuff. I was like, Father, what, what is going on? And I got this word picture that it was very much like a scab or a scar that you may have on your physical body. Uh, you know, a scab indicates healing is taking place. A scar indicates that healing has already taken place. But I'm going to tell you what, I got a scar, I got a, a six-inch scar on both sides of my arm from a surgery I had when I was a kid. And I'm going to tell you what, if you rub it long enough, it's going to irritate that. Like, I had this happen when I was 11 years old. I'm 40, I'm almost 41. 30 years later, if you do this enough, it's going to irritate this scar, right? And the reality is, is that even though we walk through forgiveness, and even though God is, is beginning to heal us, there may still be things that a person does or says or the way that they act that continues to irritate us. That doesn't mean you haven't forgiven them. All it means is that healing has begun taking place. You've just got to let healing run its full course, right? It, somehow in our, in our Western mindset, we have this mentality that when we choose to forgive someone, that healing should just be automatic. And I'm going to tell you, if you know anybody that's lived any life, you realize that forgiveness is often, sometimes it is a lifelong process. Sometimes it takes years. Sometimes it takes a day. But sometimes it takes, you know, decades in order for healing to truly take root and to take place. And so don't go into an attitude of forgiveness expecting everything just to be better as soon as you say, I forgive you. That is not the, the way that, that, that it transpires. And I'll tell you why I think it, it, why God has wired us that way. I think that the Lord allows healing to take time so that we can identify with Christ and the gravity of the sin that he took on himself. The effects of sin so that we can identify and say, man, I understand the gravity at a whole different level now. I really understand in a more meaningful way what Christ has done for me because I have this minute offense when Christ took all offense, right? And so, um, again, uh, it's the beginning. It's not the end of hurt, but the beginning of healing. Number five, forgiveness is not forgetting the offense. It's releasing the offense. Listen, some things need to be forgotten. They need to be forgiven and forgotten. You have an argument with your spouse, that needs to be forgotten. Okay, it does. When you forgive, you need to be able to forget. But there are some things that should not be forgetting. For, forgetting. There are some things that should not be forgotten. If someone has habitually offended you in a very consistent way over a number of years, you can forgive them. But again, you don't have to let them have access into your life and just forget all the times that they have because the reality is they're probably going to continue in that pattern. So as a mode of self-preservation, I forgive you, but I'm setting some boundaries, right? So, so some things need to be forgotten, but some things don't need to be forgotten. Some things, not that we hold on to bitterness, we can forgive and still remember these things. But what it does not mean is that we can put people in our own personal prison and say, I've forgiven you, but. I've forgiven you, but you remember when you did this to me. No, that is not what forgiveness is, okay? That is manipulation. And so we've got to be a people who understand, I'm not for necessarily forgetting an offense, but I am releasing you from the offense, right? Number six, forgiveness is not optional, but a command. Paul wrote this to the Colossians. He said, bear with one another and forgive each other. If any of you has grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And the reality is, is simply this. When we choose to hold on to unforgiveness, it is sin against God. That's just the bottom line. The bottom line of the bottom line. When we refuse to forgive, it is a mirror into our soul, and it reflects that we have not internalized the forgiveness that we have received. 
That's what it is. And it's a sinful, resistant act against the grace of God when we choose to hold on to offense as opposed to dealing with that offense in the right way in the right time. Um, but, but it's one of those things that, that we must do. Furthermore, let me just remind us that forgiveness is just as much for your soul as it is for their soul. Because listen to me, there, there are going to be people that you want to forgive and they're not going to receive it, right? Well, at the end of the day, you're not just doing it for them, you're doing it for you too, right? And so it is a way of, you know, the Lord giving us an opportunity for us to be set more free and more free and more free. Um, we, we have to be a people that, that walk in an attitude and a disposition of forgiveness. Um, we've even got to be a people that, that forgive people even when they don't ask us to forgive them. We've got to be a people that, um, you know, you remember Christ as, as he approaches the cross as they're gambling for his clothing. What does he say? He says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And so even when a person doesn't ask for our forgiveness, we've got to be willing to forgive because here's the reality. There are a lot of times that you're going to offend somebody and not even realize that you offended them. I remember um, I was part of a church one time, and I had, I, it wasn't something I did. It was something I did not do. And I had no idea that I had offended this gentleman uh, at that church. And a year and a half later, a year over, it, it, a year and a half later, this man comes to me and he says, Corey, I just want you to know that I've gotten to a place and I forgive you. And I was like, what are you talking about? And he said, do you remember da 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 And I was like, uh, no. <laughs> he, was like, he was like, well, I've been carrying that offense with me for the last year and a half and I'm, I'm just now to the place where I forgive you. <laughs> I was like, how was I supposed to know? My point is simply this, is that there may be times where people offend us or, or where we offend somebody, we don't even realize that. We have to prepare for that, okay? But we also have to be in the mindset that, that understands that there may be somebody that's offended you and they have no idea that they've offended you. This is why Jesus says, look, if someone sins against you, you go to them, right? You don't wait for them to come to you because they may not even realize they've done anything, right? So when someone sins against you, you go to them, and you deal with it the best way that you know how. And then finally, number seven is this. I'm so sorry. Too many notes. I should have made it two sermons. Number seven is this. Forgiveness is not an emotion. It is a choice of the will. You know, every time I do a wedding ceremony, I'll stand there and I'll remind the couple, today is beautiful, it's majestic, you're in love, butterflies, flirty, all this kind of stuff. This is amazing. But so much of this moment is emotion. And you've got to understand that in three months from now, your emotion, this emotion, may not be there. And so this covenant that you're making before each other is not about the emotion of the moment. It's about a choice of your will. I choose to love you when I don't feel like I love you. I choose to love you when I'm angry. I choose to love you when I feel like not caring. I'm choosing to love you because it's not about the emotion of the moment. It's about a choice of the will. Forgiveness is not wrapped up in emotion. As a matter of fact, forgiving someone rarely feels good. And what even feels worse is when you forgive someone and they don't want to receive it. And the reality is, is that we've got to get to a place long before we approach somebody to forgive to settle in our soul Regardless of their response, I'm forgiving them. Because I'm going to tell you this, you go into a moment offering forgiveness to someone, there are going to be a lot of times where it doesn't go the way that you thought it would go. And you still got to be settled in your soul, I'm going to choose to forgive, right? And so it, it is very much um, a choice of the will, not just an emotion. And so the goal for all of us, as, as I wrap this up really quickly, the goal for all of us is simply this, to get to a place when I am offended, to say, Father, to the same measure that I forgive Glenn, I'm asking you to forgive me. Think about that for a moment. Father, for the, 
in the same measure that I'm willing to forgive Miss Janet. That's what I want you to forgive me. That'll change the dynamic just a little bit. Because I know the kind of forgiveness that I want from the Father, right? Full, woo! <laughs> no, nothing. I want to be free. I don't even want consequences even when I deserve it. I want to be free. Can I say that about every person I want to forgive? Can I forgive them on the same level that I have an expectation God forgive me, right? I'm telling you, I'm telling you this, and I'm, I'm closing with this. When we begin to walk in this place of true forgiveness, all of a sudden, we live at a, in, in a place of freedom and liberty and life that we never knew existed on this side of forgiveness. I've, listen to me, I've experienced it. I've carried bitterness. There have been times I carried bitterness for years. And I'm telling you, life looks very different on this side of forgiveness than it does on this side of forgiveness. This morning we were going to, I was taking my, my kids to school. My sweet little Ella is five years old and she's about to be six and she's in kindergarten this year. And this kid loves school. And if you know Ella, she is just the brightest, most, you know, jovial and just so full of joy bright smile and everything. And this morning we were on our, on our way to school and we had talked all morning and I got them ready and all this kind of stuff and I was driving them to school. And out of the blue, she said, Daddy! I was like, it startled me. It was, I was like, what? She said, it's a new day! And I was like, yeah, it's a new day! And that's all she had to say. That's not she, she was just, we were pulling into, we had been, she had been awake for an hour and a half. And we were pulling in. Daddy, it's a new day. And I'm going to tell you, I'm just telling you. When you cross from this side of forgiveness to this side, there's an experience, a moment where you have where you say, Daddy, it's a new day. I live different today than I did yesterday. And it's an incredible moment. I promise you that. Let me pray for you really quickly. Father, I come to you in, in the name of your great son, Jesus, so grateful for the forgiveness that's been bestowed on us, the, the unearned forgiveness, the undeserved forgiveness, um, just so much unspeakable mercy that you've given to us. And I pray, Lord, that for the Christian life family, this would be, this would be our DNA, that we would be a reflection of the forgiveness that we have received. I pray for anybody who's struggling right some are struggling with unspeakable wounds in their lives. And I just want to pray for the healing ointment of your Holy Spirit to touch their lives. Take us all, Lord, as we go through the journey, the adventure of life, take us to places of forgiveness that we can live in freedom for it is a new day. We'll bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen and amen.